You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Robert Axelrod. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Before a student would approach you know, studying political science, as perhaps a science, perhaps pursuing it as a career or becoming or an analyst, or before that level, I found, and a number of students are coming to us as well, saying that they felt that they didn't receive. Um, from middle school or high school, I mean, just going back to the very early stages when they should be getting a grounding in American American and international politics, they felt that they, they hadn't learned it. It wasn't something that they were really exposed to very much beyond a very basic uh, um, education in American politics until they got to university. So in terms of education reform or some things that we might uh, introduce into the education system in order to help encourage more responsible, more educated and involved citizens. What do you feel? I think the most critical thing is education for critical thinking. The ability to say, listen to a political argument uh, or an argument of any sort on COVID, for example, or on climate change and not necessarily understand the science behind that, but to understand how to evaluate the credibility of the speaker, how to evaluate the the logic of the arguments, and to see whether um, a conspiracy theory is behind this that has no grounding. And so I think what's especially important in uh, high school would be an education in critical thinking. Now that can happen in the context of many different subject areas, certainly such as obviously such as history or, or science. But I think that it's uh, worth a attentiveness to this, these problems. The critical thinking is also related to um, appreciation of a text. Can you draw inferences from a text and what is, the, what is it trying to tell you that isn't obvious and how do you evaluate its uh, value? So what I did is I invited um, scholars who had done research in game theory to say to send in to me entries to a tournament what what strategy would you use and written out as a computer algorithm if you know the the experience with the other players so far what would choice would you make and what how do you compute that choice and so i got a number of entries from many disciplines uh so this is where it begins to be the interdisciplinary aspect of it that economists sociologists uh, biologists all uh, had we thought about the prisoners but I'm in game theory and so they were able to provide uh, entries to this challenge that related directly to each other even if the biologists didn't know much economics and so on they didn't need to and then I ran the tournament to see what would be the most effective strategy and the quite surprising outcome well let me put it this way I expected that the best strategy would be really complicated and sophisticated just like the best strategy to play chess computer chess program you don't expect the winner to be a very short program it should be a very expected to be very complicated and involved and have many pieces to it but in fact in the prisoner's dilemma game the simplest of all the rules submitted was the best one and that was what i call tit for tat it's a very simple rule it says on the first move you cooperate and then you do whatever the other side did on the previous move if the other side cooperated you cooperate the other side defected on the previous move you defect so that's why it's called tit for tat and it turns out that that does very, very well. And the reason it does so well is it tends to give the other side an incentive to cooperate. 
if uh, it cooperates, then you'll cooperate. If you cooperate, it does better. So another way to put it is that there's a trade-off between the short-term gains from defection and the longer-term gains from trying to develop mutual cooperation. Then I analyzed that and I, I decided to try it again, but with many more entrants. And I advertised in computer hobby magazines and more wrote to more academics and got um, 62 entries and ran each of those against all the others. And amazingly, the tit for tat again won, even though people knew that it won the first time and were trying to do something better. I think important uh, process is uh, development of global consciousness among citizens, the, the idea that we're all in this together. And a big step was taken, I think, when the astronaut took a photograph of the Earth and we all saw this little marble that we're all living on and we're all on the same planet. Uh, was, we could imagine it for the first time from a perspective of another person seeing the globe as a whole and not just our neighborhood or our country. It's clear that uh, some important issues, a good example is climate change, are global. That no one country can control the changes in climate and the weather and the, and the disruption that will cause globally. And we also, COVID, of course, is, is another example that no one country can, uh, each country can try to do what it can for its citizens. But nevertheless, the epidemic is global. And so if some other country is doing a bad job, it's likely to cause your country trouble. Uh, and so I think people are realizing that's another global issue. Uh, in the Cold War, the fear of nuclear conflict was another one, although that was mostly seen through the eyes, not of a global problem, but of a bipolar, you know, us versus them problem. But COVID and uh, climate change are certainly, and, uh, and to some extent economic downturns are, are all global. And uh, to the extent that people recognize that, that they can't just pursue their own national interests um, without regard to what others are doing. And again, our president has set a terrible example by saying he doesn't care about allies and alliances and treaties. Uh, he wants just to make America self-sufficient and isolated, which works for North Korea, but <laughs> it's not going to work for the United States or anybody else for that matter. So uh, I think that uh, a major change is going to be needed and it's beginning to happen to see us all as citizens of the same society, a global society, and that what happens elsewhere in climate change or COVID or finances uh, and many other things will affect us too. And so we need to work together on that. Um, yes, and speaking of, you know, us all living on this planet we call home, you know, the doomsday clock, which is, used to be counted in minutes to midnight, and now they're going to seconds. I, it's very hard to think about. I think I understand the impulse from people just not to want to pay attention to that. And so I felt, I mean, I know it's hard. When I think about seconds to midnight, I can't understand. But I feel like you know, one thing we have is I try to apply my little artist brain to things is that we're all carrying around these devices. We all, you know, we make our purchases through them because it's hard to, for people to conceptualize like that. You know, they don't, we don't see the whole picture of the planet. We live in this little thing. So our, we have myopia. And I felt like, well, you know, everything we purchase, if you know, if you're opting in, if you're paying by card or whatever, but that's track. If you can see what your, you know, oh, my, my travel is this, my thing is that, and you can see what is, it's consumption for global warming, you know, and you can see I'm adding to this, and these are our seconds, and this is the water line of that. And if we are made 
aware of it, not to inspire mass hysteria. But we see that's what I'm adding. You know, I think that there's so many apps for everything, uh, apps to make you look prettier, apps to whatever. If you could do the math on your purchases and have make some kind of estimate, this is my contribution to that. And that could be like, I could go on a carbon diet just like institutions, just like corporations. But if it came, as you say, citizen to citizen, then there's a kind of movement. I'm not sure that the, an app could be completely accurate, but if people were able to see that and get these reminders of our seconds to midnight, even though I know that's, it's not the metaphor, it's, it's like real. You know, if you go beyond certain things in nuclear warfare or global warming and this kind of nuclear catastrophe, um, is real, but if it was put in our, as you say, the, if the figures were fed to us, just like we are constantly looking at our social media to, to see who's liking our photos, to see what our, um, what our stats are, I guess. A couple of reactions. The first one is you use the phrase, my little artist brain. And I really object to that. Uh, I mean, I, I see if you're saying that as an artist, you haven't been educated in international institutions and war and peace and climate physics. Well, that's, yes, that's right. But I think artists have a lot to offer in helping us see the world in new ways, whether they're uh, artists as novelists, artists as performers, artists as painters, and so on. And so their brains might work in a different way or focus on different things, and not technology, for example, but they could be that the artists, artists are the best able to help us see the world in a new way. World, we're leaving the next generation. I've been asking them if they had a wish for the future. Um, there's so many systems, uh, political, educational, you know, with the climate warming, so many things. But how do you feel we, we might improve some of our current systems? And I, I suppose, yes, what was your wish for the future in terms of passing on a, a better world to the next generation? I wish people would uh, have a deeper appreciation of how we're all in the same boat or the same planet together, and that uh, interests of, uh, and perspectives of people far away are valuable and legitimate and need, should be taken into account, and just as they would be people in your own town. And in other words, a, a diminution of parochialism and a, a broader sense of cosmopolitanism. As I said earlier, I think. Uh, we're learning the hard way by experiencing an ep a global epidemic and experiencing global financial problems and, uh, and gradually learning that the climate change is, is for real uh, and it's a global problem. And so we're learning the hard way that we do, we are in this together. And I hope that that feeling and appreciation and consciousness will be deeper in the next generation than our current generation. And I think that, if that as that happens, a lot of other problems become much more manageable. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.